We're in week three of, uh, week four, sorry, of what we've called uh, disciple. What does it mean to be a, a disciple? How do we follow Jesus? And so uh, I wanted to start by telling you a story. In the year 2001, there was a house in Chicago that made the news. It was run down, weeds uh, kind of everywhere, apparently abandoned, maybe like one of your neighbor's houses. Uh, the house finally came up on uh, auction because of back taxes. And so someone bought the house and they came to the house to clean it up. And when they came to clean it up, what they found was horrifying. Uh, instead of just finding an old run-down house that was kind of dirty and maybe a little bit smelly, they found a man named Adolf Stick, who had apparently died of natural causes, sitting alone in his reading chair. And right beside Adolf Stick was a newspaper. So in the year 2001, when they went in, they found Adolf sitting beside a newspaper that was dated 1997. Apparently, this man had been dead for four years, and no one had even noticed. Not a neighbor, not a relative, not a friend, not the mailman, nobody. How does someone die and no one notices? When I started this, the, uh, the series Disciple, or kind of whenever we do one of these serious things, people seem to get the idea that this is all about new information. We're going to tell you something you never heard before. But as disciples of Jesus, rather than focusing simply always on looking for new information, sometimes we need to focus on living out the information that we already know. So for example, there's, there's a story that I'm sure many of you have heard before, um, where a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and he says, what's the most important commandment of all? And he brings it up because there's actually 1,613 commands. And you go, that's a lot of commands. Jesus took these 1,613 commands and he narrowed it down to an absolute laser focus. And Jesus' friend Matthew wrote this down in Matthew 22. He says, the most important is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your might, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe instead of just looking for something new, we should uh, live out the information that Jesus has already shown us that's not really difficult to understand what he meant by it. So love, love God, and love your neighbor. Because when you boil it all down, it comes to this one thought that it's all about relationships. That's what Jesus was focusing on. And today I want to talk to you about the relational aspect of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And as we do, I just want to take a moment to zip back over the ground that we've covered in the last couple of episodes. So week number one in our series, Disciple, looking back, uh, we talked about three thoughts. And I know you all want to shout them out because you remember them perfectly, but just, you know, calm yourself down. A disciple of Jesus touches lepers. A relational thought. A disciple of Jesus also befriends prostitutes. Again, relational. And then the third thing was uh, we examined was a disciple of Jesus as they live like Jesus, doing those first two things will very likely offend Pharisees. Relational again. In week number two, we looked at the principle of a disciple of Jesus that goes fishing or a disciple of Jesus makes disciples. Relational. Again. Week number three, we examined the, uh, the principle that, that a disciple of Jesus washes feet. A disciple of Jesus serves others. Relational again. And today our focus or key thought is a disciple of Jesus 
breaks bread. A Christ follower breaks bread. That means doing life with other disciples, other people who are also on this path. So verse 46 of Acts chapter 2 reflects in so many ways um, the, the heartbeat, the philosophy, the underlying part of what our churches should really be all about. So it starts with every day the disciples continued to meet together. And where did they meet? Two different places. First of all, they met in the temple courts. So that's publicly, a lot like what we're doing right now, gathering together in a public kind of way. Secondly, um, Luke, who was writing the book of Acts, he says, what, what did they do? They broke bread. And where did they do that? In their homes. Now, a lot of people think, well, okay, breaking bread, that means they shared the Lord's Supper. They had communion. They, they celebrated the Eucharist. They had a ceremony. They did a ritual. And it says that they had communion in their homes. And they did. That is what was happening. And, and yet, that's not completely what the, the phrase breaking bread really means. It means so much more than just that moment. The disciples met together very, very regularly. It was regularly part of their week that they would be together and they would fellowship and they would do life together and they would catch up with each other. What's going on? It was very, very important to them. They prioritized it above and around. So those meals were not like meals that we have today. Meals today, to most people, are kind of like hit and run, right? It's like going to baseball or, or music practice and as you're going, you kind of reach under the seat of your car to see if, hey, look, there's a Big Mac. We still, have, we still have good food left over here. Eat this on the way, kids. And not, not only as Christians, um, we rarely eat with our, with our neighbors. The, the, the truth is, for a lot of us, we don't even eat with our families. And, and I know what this is like because we struggle with it in, in our house too. The meals mentioned in the New Testament were much more like Thanksgiving meals and where people gathered together and they came early, right? And, and there were several rounds of food. And it wasn't about the amount of food that you ate. It was about the time that you spent with each other. There was a relational aspect to those meals. People were doing life together, catching up, looking each other in the face, having the chance and the opportunity to slow down, to see each other. And it was such a high priority to them. As we study uh, Acts chapter 2, we look at two thoughts about breaking bread, okay? The first thought is this. Breaking bread demands a serious commitment. In Acts chapter 2, do you know what just happened? That Peter had just preached uh, about the resurrection of Jesus. And then 3,000 people surrender their lives to Christ and they were baptized. And here was the New Testament church being birthed. And verse 42 says that these believers, what, what, what did they do? Say it out loud. They devoted them. Okay, well, yeah, all right. Not an accidental or an incidental thing. But they devoted themselves, right, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the Greek word that's translated fellowship is kind of an interesting word. Maybe you've heard it before. It's the word koinonia. And it means to share. It means to, to participate in a common cause. Very literally, the phrase means to engage in social intercourse. That language makes it intense. Now, when you think Think about that phrase. Don't let your mind stray off into, into a sexual kind of nature. Keep it relational. It means a relational nakedness. It's doing life at such an intimate level with fellow believers that they become like family to you. They are necessary for your spiritual and relational 
survival. And spinning off this idea of relationships, let me give you again just a couple of those differences again between the word Christian and the word disciple. They are the same thing, okay? And yet. The disciple of Jesus and and, and a Christian, they are the same thing, and yet. These words have come to have different nuances to them. For example, Christians enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus. It's essential. you got to have it. Because honestly, no one can have a relationship with Jesus for you. Not your parents or your grandparents. It can't happen. You can't be near it. It has to be personal. But a relationship with Jesus was never designed to be private. And that's a profound difference. It has to be personal, but it was never intended to be private. So when I, on the other hand, think about the disciples, the followers of Jesus in the New Testament, rather than thinking of a personal relationship, you know, God and me, me and God, God and I are close. Um, This is what it is for so many people today. They say, I've got God. I know God. I talked about God. God's in everything. God's everywhere. I go for a walk in nature. God's around me. I don't need a church. I don't need other people. When I think of the disciples, though, instead of a personal relationship, this is beautiful. I think that the disciples enjoy a shared relationship with Jesus. Those who were enjoying and experiencing his power and his reality, enjoying that with other Christ followers. Jesus said in in Matthew, for wherever two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And there's something profoundly powerful about his presence when it comes to participating together in the family of Christ. So the question I would ask then is this, why doesn't that kind of what seems to be so important, intimate relationship, why doesn't it happen frequently today? But be honest, you don't have to be honest out loud, so you can really be honest, be honest in your head. Love your neighbor as yourself, whatever. The majority of us don't even know the names of our neighbors. Not only are we not breaking bread, regularly doing life, being intimately involved with other Christ followers, Not only do we not know our neighbors, and if you go beyond the people who live immediately next door to the people after them, we definitely don't know who they are. Um, A lot of us don't even really have that. uh, We don't even know our own immediate families. I mean, let's be honest for a minute. The way we do life has got to be heartbreaking to God. So busy making money. Got to make money. Got to make a name. Got to climb the ladder. Got to get ahead. I've got to get the kids for their activities. They need activities. They need more activities. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got to go here. I've got to have a diversity of experiences. It's got to be better than mine. So many families today don't even eat together or do life together. Why? Why, Why do we value it so little and every other activity so highly? We have so many ways to avoid people, to avoid relationships. And when Jesus out of 1,613 commands, he says, boil it all down to this. You are to know God and love him personally and reflect his love, loving your neighbor as yourself. And yet most people today say, I would, but you know what? I just don't have time. There's a lot of phrases in the New Testament uh, to document, to, uh, to, to illustrate for us how we're supposed to be together. It instructs us on how to live. 
Um, so many of these phrases use the, uh, many of these verses use the phrase one another. So we often group them together as one another commands, right? So they instruct us how to one another, one another. They're trail markers on the, on the path towards kingdom relationships. Want to know how to live like Jesus lived in relationships? Want to know what to do or what did that look like today? Follow those one another statements. So I'm going to give you a couple of them. I'm not going to give you all of them. There's many, many more. It's a great study. But in John 13, Jesus said, love one another. But wouldn't you agree that uh, in reality, a lot of times what we're doing instead of loving one another is we're trying to avoid one another? Like, have you ever been at the grocery store with your cart and you're going along and you see that person, you know the person, and you think, not right now, <laughs> right? You know what that's like. We're avoiding one another. Romans 12, it says, be devoted to one another. But wouldn't you agree at times the heartbeat of what we're really trying to do, we're really trying to not be devoted to another, we're trying to be independent from one another? I don't want to need you because you might let me down. And I've been burned before, I've been hurt before, and I haven't forgotten that last time. So I really want to be strong on my own, stand on my own, Stand on my own two feet. And I just don't want to have to need people. I don't want you to be needy around me either. Instead of being devoted, a lot of us are trying so hard to be independent. We read on to honor one another, to accept one another, Romans 15. And yet Christians can often be the least accepting people. we got to own that. Paul, in Galatians 5, he tells us to serve one another. In Ephesians 4, he tells us to be compassionate to one another. Ephesians 5, he says to submit to one another. Ugh. 1 Thessalonians 5, he tells us to encourage one another. Send one of those notes. Hebrews 10 says to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 1 Peter 3, it says to live in harmony one to another. 1 Peter 4, he says offer hospitality. We're told to do all these loving things to one another. And yet, right now, at this moment, you can be sitting here with people all around you, before you, behind you, beside you, and you can be relationally empty and lonely. You can be married and lying in, in, in bed, laying in bed next to your spouse and be lonely because we have ignored the heartbeat of God. And that is relationships. That's why he created you, because he is love and you are the object of his affection. He wants you to share that love. It's not just for you, with other people. Blessed to be a blessing to all nations. And we're too busy. Serious commitment. So hear me clearly on this part. It's a serious commitment because you know people, right? And there's the whole, how do we say this nicely? Pain in the butt factor, right? There's whining and, and hurting and misunderstandings, uh, misunderstandings and arguments and fighting and bickering and complaining and talking about people behind their back. And then there's restoration and reconciliation. There's healing and there's forgiveness and then there's crying together and then there's rejoicing together. You can't have the good without the pain in the butt factor. And it honors God to do life in such a way. So first thought, breaking bread demands an extreme commitment. 
But I want you to see the fruit of this. It's not just hard work for nothing, just because he said so. Second thought is this, breaking bread produces serious results. Look at the results. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The word awe here is the Greek word that is phobos, and that's where we get our word phobia from, and it means alarm or fear or fright, terror, awe. There was this holy awe, wonder because of what God was doing in and through his people. Verse 44, all the believers were together. Now, again, how many of the believers were there? All were together. Not, not, not I'm this and you're a that, right? All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Absolutely terrifying. What did they do? Look at this. It'll, it'll scare the pants right off you. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Imagine this. Do you realize that right now, here, virtually every need that you or the person sitting next to you, in front of you, or beside you, could be met by God through his people immediately if we functioned like the family of Christ is supposed to. Just let that sink in for a moment. Virtually every need that you or someone close to you has, could be met by God through his people if we functioned in the manner of the kingdom of God. Trust. And many of us have made a lifestyle of blowing people off. Too busy. Because you're not breaking bread. We're, we're not getting together intimately with God and with his people. And sure, you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm, and I'm guessing it's wonderful but it was never meant to be private. So what gets your time? And why is it more important than this? The disciples of Jesus got to break bread. Verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What would happen if you were so committed to loving people God's way that non-believers looked at you and they said, I, I don't know about your belief. It sounds kind of weird, frankly, all the stuff that you say that you believe in. But the way you live, your love is so real. I want to find out why you do that. There's a God that says you're like that. I don't know that God. Tell me about that God. I can promise you right now, people who don't know Jesus are not going to be moved by our right doctrine. Oh, this is what you believe about the centrality of a healthy Christology manifested in your eschatology. Ah, I do want to be a Christian now. Thank you. Please tell me more. They don't care, right? It's not their language. It's not our language. They don't really care how our buildings look. Go, oh, wow, your stained glass is so beautiful. Let's change the world together. You have some awesome technology. That's great. They don't give a rip about that. What will get their attention? When we live what Jesus has told us to live, and that is to love. John 13, the words of Jesus, he says, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
And then by this, all men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You cannot love one another unless you commit to do life together. A disciple of Jesus breaks bread. Let's pray. Father, move on our hearts to fully be disciples, committed to obeying the first and the second most important commandments. There are those of you who are believers this morning, I know you are, and you recognize that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you don't have a deep, committed, shared relationship with Jesus. If you don't have it, you know that you need it. It's not going to happen accidentally. You must commit to it. Serious commitment. There is nothing more important than these relationships. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would so move us right now that we would be overwhelmed with your love. And we would aggressively, passionately desire to share it with your people. Not to go out and preach to people and up in their face, but to be kind. God, that Acts 2 type of power, realizing that our life is not our own, it belongs to you, and ultimately, it belongs to your people. Everything in common, sharing with those who are in need, hurting with those who hurt, and rejoicing with those who rejoice. God, lead us into this biblical Jesus kingdom community that we could do the uh, life intimately with one another experiencing you in the heart in a new and a deeper way, such a profound love that those who don't know you would look on and say, I want that. I don't have that in my life. And we could introduce them to the author of this kind of love, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.